Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today's online health trends come and go. Sometimes it's hard to know which sources you can trust. If you're looking for a podcast that delivers reliable information on the latest topics in health and wellness, then check out DabbleCo, right here on the Offscript Health Podcast Network. Hosted by nurse practitioner Claire O'Brien, the DabbleCo podcast is your new go-to for healthcare information. Each week, Claire talks with experts about what's trending versus what's true, while elevating women in medicine. Entertaining and informative, you'll love this podcast. Check out episodes like Everybody Poops with Dr. Will Bolshewitz, where Dr. Will Bolshewitz talks about his book, Fiber Fueled. They also make sure to cover the most important topic to date, poop. Or check out the episode on maintaining health off screen with Naomi Olindo. Southern Charm TV star Naomi Olindo talks about her own mental and physical health journey and how she stays balanced during a crazy season of filming. For more information, visit offscript.com slash shows. That's offscript, no T, dot com slash shows. The link will be in our show notes. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. I'm Joey Brenneman from Offscript Health. Welcome to the Tangential Conversation Companion to Offscript Health's Before We Die podcast. We fondly named this bonus episode Lab Before Slab. And these are the sometimes random, often fascinating, and always a little bit quirky conversations that happen around our production table. And we couldn't quite fit them into our regular episodes, but we had a feeling that there are listeners out there who would enjoy them. So here are the Before We Die creators, Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman to geek out about the latest happenings in the med tech arena. All right, who's going first? Sandy, are we talking to you first today? Okay, what do you got? Go for it. Okay, so let's let's go back in a time machine for a bit to late 2006, <laughs> which is when Facebook launched. And in just three years, fully one third of Americans were using Facebook in 2009. Another exciting thing happened in 2006, which is the iPhone. So we had this amazing smartphone, which these, these phones have as much computing power as they had in the mission control for, for NASA, you know, to go to the moon. Crazy. So yes. there are these really powerful things that impact our lives in so many different ways. And there are a lot of positive benefits of smartphones. And, you know, one of the things that it's done is democratized technology Mm -hmm. in a way, because some farmer that's using a, in Africa, that's using a smartphone or, you know, or to sell their crop, literally has as much computing power in their hands as, you know, a Richard Branson might have, right? Mm -hmm. So those are really wonderful things about the smartphones. But... Digital technology also um, is having some negative impacts. And I just wanted to shine light on 
a really great series the New York Times is doing on mental health, and particularly mental health for kids, adolescents, teens, anywhere between the sort of 10, age 10 to 19. Is it on the benefits of it, or is it like app-driven? Yeah, so... So the it's it's more at a at a high level it's that the usage of the phone really is causing kids to have, you know, spend less time on social activities, even just hanging out with their friends, dating and and certainly less exercise. Importantly, it also is screen time um, you know, if you're a kid that has a phone, you have that's just one more temptation to not go to bed at night, to stay up late texting your friends when you're supposed to be sleeping. And we know that kids, particularly teens, need tons and tons of sleep. So, you know, less social activities, social engagement, less exercise and sleep. And of course, all of that has been exacerbated by the pandemic. The, the challenge, though, is that there are studies that say, hey, kids that are heavy social media users really, you know, feel sad or depressed. But there are also studies that say, yeah, it doesn't really show that much effect. So it's tricky. But we know that there are still a lot of kids and adults who are really struggling with depression and so forth. How do we how do we navigate some of these things? Um, there are a lot of startups that are working on apps to help with you know mental health related issues, help with depression and so forth. Jury's still out. This is still an evolving field. There's a lot of activity, so I just want to point some attention to it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of variables here, and they're almost all bad. Teens need a lot of socialization, or they at least expect it. And they've been separated for long periods of time. They haven't been going to school, which gives them some sort of structure. When they do go to school, school's been kind of a mess. Now schools have become political footballs, which has only added to uncertainty and doubt and fear. You know, the old FUD. I just said it backwards, but you get the idea. Um, <laughs> and that makes kids nervous. And then kids are very aware of uh, environmental problems and the climate crisis. And they're freaked out about their future or if they have one. And they see nothing much happening in politics about it. And that completely freaks them out. There's also a growing political gap between uh, the youth and the adults running the world. And, you know, that used to be true in the 60s. And then it wasn't true for a long time. And now it's true. again. You don't think Joe Biden's uh, TikTok uh, summit really closed the gap? Uh no, and and <laughs> certainly, you know, the gap between the Republicans and uh, a lot of uh, the business world and the student—not uh, even the business world at this point, actually—but the ideology of uh, many people in power and the youth today, because they have to live in the future, and the fifty and sixty-year-olds don't, uh, are enormous. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, there might be some technology so we can. So <laughs> it's it's really easy for teens to feel depressed and not totally irrational to think that their future is going to be extremely difficult and they may not have the tools to solve it. Now, you layer that on top of the isolating effects of technology and then if you layer that on top of the sort of superficial connectivity that technology provides, 
people who use Facebook a lot can, you know, get depressed because everyone else seems to be doing exciting stuff and you're not doing exciting stuff. You know, they're not giving you any kind of reality basis to what they're doing. They're just showing you, you know, their fun interactions with a bear. Hey, um, hey, if it's not on Facebook, <laughs> it never happens. You get to, uh, depressed because you're not doing exciting stuff because you're spending too much time on Facebook not doing exciting stuff. <laughs> exactly. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So I'll I'll try and bring it back to uh, to my kids. So when my son was growing up, they had the text phones without uh, they were just texting phones. Uh, that was pretty heady stuff, right? Because you've got the kid fed, warm, he's in his room, clean sheets, and they're on the phone, and it's the first generation that's learning, like who's the alpha bullier with the phone. And you had, you know, suicides happening. And the concept that you've done everything as a parent and they're in their room and they're all stressed out is pretty opposite of our experience where, like, if you wanted to talk to someone, you had to do it with the phone that was in the living room in front of your parents, you know. Mm -hmm. And then my daughter comes along and she's, you know, uh, just graduating uh, here uh, in a couple of weeks. And she, so she had college COVID. Her brother luckily moved out. So she's, you know, going to college, is walking down the hall and going into his room to set up. And then she comes downstairs and, you know, she's, she's basically online the whole day, except when we see her in the cafeteria, also known as the kitchen, to see how, how college is going on. And the reason I bring those up is as examples is in the next four years, it's going to be something else. So I, I'm anxious that that solutions will not be able to keep up with the acceleration of access. And then the question is, do we, do we end up being able to teach the lesson of what right is wrong when you have all this other stimulus for folks growing up? And right, the idea that you know, between your brain and your heart is your soul, and you have to figure out which part of that you're going to answer to. It's uh, tough to compete against uh, some of those vines and TikTok. So I, I don't know where it's going to go. I love, I know it's real because we had suicides in our community, even just from texting. Some fundamental things are going to still have to happen for people to connect to understand that sense of, of right and wrong. Well, I think also adults are not modeling the behavior. We're all still learning how to 
put our own boundaries on our own use. And so babies and kids, I see babies reaching for their parents' phones or parents think they're hiding their phones from their babies and the babies are absolutely onto it. That's what they want. They want what you have in your hand. And it's everybody's learning how to navigate their own use and their own results, like how to have your own kind of control over what is so easily available to just encourage you to lay there and look at all these fascinating things. So it will be interesting to see how it plays out on all levels, but we've got to take care of our young people because it's it's really, it, adolescence is hard <laughs> enough. So to add all this in there, ugh, it's tough The to algorithm think. of parenting is is now overshadowed by the algorithm of whatever you're uh, you're following, and um, it certainly sounds vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll uh, do a follow up to this in a couple of months and see see how it plays out. But we will also put the New York Times articles in the show notes and. Um, just join us next time because you never know where the Lab Before Slab conversation is going to go. And for more in-depth conversations with our MedTech innovators, join us for our regular episodes of Before We Die on this very same feed. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Lab Before Slab is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Joey Brenneman and Ariel Nachman. Lab Before Slab is mixed by Kyle Moore. Our Lab Before Slab panel of experts and creators of the show are Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-283-4666. Share your healthcare stories and we might just play them on the air in a future episode. For more information, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.